0: 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Lord, we thank You, we're always careful to give You the honor, the glory, and the praise. Lord, I thank you for where you have us. I thank you for your taking us, Lord. When I see the, the plan, Lord, I see a glimpse of what you have, Lord. I pray that you would open up all of our eyes to, to grab hold of that, that we would come together united in purpose and mind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your chairs. What I want to talk about today is um, stewardship. I do that every four or five months. Really, and, and talk about managing not just what you have, but your, your entire life. Everything about you. Um, everything that God has given you. And some might say, well, he hasn't given me much. Well, he's given you more than you can imagine. The talent you have, the voice, the ability to do anything. But basically I want to talk about and try to expand your ability to trust. I want to work through the whole issue of trust, uh, so we can find out, maybe, if we do trust, or maybe find out how in advance how you think you could do when God puts you to that point where He wants to see if you will trust Him, right? Every believer has to come to terms with this concept of trusting God for your future, trusting God for your family, hello, trusting God for your health, if that's where you're at. And, it, and really, we're talking about trust, and it's like a, a major concept, but it is like, I call it ground zero, ground zero in, in a terms of a Christian. Now, if you think of Ground Zero, the first time Ground Zero was used was when they were doing experiments in World War II, and it was a term used of a nuclear explosion or any large bomb. The term Ground Zero describes the point on the Earth's surface closest to the detonation. Ground Zero. Boom! In 1946, the New York Times report on the city that, uh, on the, the bomb that destroyed the city of Hiroshima. It defined ground zero as the part of the ground situated immediately under the exploding bomb. Ground zero. And if you ever looked at that, you imagine when the bomb came down it exploded above and wiped out hundreds of thousands of people and buildings in a matter of minutes. Boom, ground zero. Well, that term has kind of changed itself since then because many of you, uh, maybe you've heard of Hiroshima, Nagasaki, but the the ideal of an atomic bomb is so far fetched um, for many of this generation younger than I. So that term has changed a little bit. And now it's used for an attack that happened uh, September 11th in 2001 when two aircraft hijacked by 10 al-Qaeda terrorists flew into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center, causing massive damage. It started fires that weakened uh, the 110-story skyscraper. The These... 747, one was a 767 had, had fuel. And, and fuel, jet fuel is much like kerosene. And it burns at well, I don't know 1200, 1200 degrees or, or higher, 2,000 degrees and higher. kerosene the fuel. And the fire got so hot that it heated the beams in the World Trade Center, heated them, and turned the beams into liquid steel, and and these buildings collapsed. Just, amazingly, they didn't tip over, they just disintegrated, one floor on top of another. Whether it was intended, who knows, uh, but it destroyed the World Trade Center, and that was soon to be called Ground Zero. Now, Ground Zero, for the Christian, is a place, this is what I call, Ground zero. And to me, it's as violent at times, as powerful as times, what I'm gonna talk about today. Can I trust God with everything I have? That's ground zero for a Christian. Now we all can say, Oh, I trust God. Okay. Believe me, we'll all know one day or another. So I think every one of us comes to a place where we have to cross that line. Yes, I do trust Him. Or, no, I don't trust Him. I I believe people. I believe this more. I believe situation. I believe everything else more. It's harder to trust God. Because let's face it, it's hard to trust God. As a pastor, I I walk by faith all the time. It's very hard to trust God. Because you have to to deny your your common sense. You have to deny your logic. You have to deny everything you see because I'm going to trust God. All that that trust or that trust line, if you face your ground zero, you will grow spiritually when you cross it. Because there's that trust line. Cross that line. When you cross it, you grow. When you see that trust, and it's not going to be easy. Let me tell you something. It's easy to talk about. When you have to really trust God, that line is going to be hard to cross. Wow. But if you cross it, you grow. If you don't, you will not grow. You'll have more head knowledge, but less heart knowledge. And that's even more dangerous because now your head will get so big, it'll outthink God. Because you'll know so much, you'll know what's best. And God, you must be ma- making a mistake up there. So many don't force you back away from that line. We may, or some may, begin to shrivel in, in their soul and never reach their potential because it's an issue of trust. All because we're unwilling to let God take control of our life. Huh? It's like does anybody remember the first time they rode a bike? Yeah, I raise. Right. See, I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it's my family, but my brothers they weren't like these like these kind of teachers or okay uh Al, you get on the bike and you put one foot in front of the other and describe it and, and hold me and you got it? Oh, how we They weren't like that. They were like cruel. They go, yeah, hey, come on, Mil, come on, Albert, come on, get the bike. Watch. See that heel up there? Yeah, take the bike all the top of the hill. Okay, we go up the top of the hill go on the hill. Get on, get on, get on. You ready? Because I never I never rode a bike. You ready? You ready? Yeah. They push me down the hill and watch me. Hey. I didn't love bam, 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 bam. They run, yeah, hey, you did good. Get back up. Get on the get. You better get back up. You want you want to fall down and, and get hurt by the ground, or you want me to hurt you? Also I look at the ground, I'm okay, and I get back up, and they roll me down the hill. Right? I I I had to get up there and learn the hard way. Oh man. Sometimes, sometimes learning to trust God is just like that. Can I say it again? Yeah. But, you know, most people want, well, God, um, can you, can you, can you, like, hold me by the hand and, and have Corey walk me? <laughs> and then I'll, I'll trust you. No, 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 no. God says, you see that mountain? Yeah. Get, get walking. Get walk. But God, God, can, can you put, can I see the angels? No, just get walking. I'm going to, I'm going to show you the giants on the land. I'm going to show you all the obstacles in your way. I'm, I'm going I'm to put a big giant Jordan River in front of you that you can't cross because it's high tide. I'm going to put the Red Sea in front of you. Now get walking. Trust. And then can you trust him, right? Because most parents in this day and age they use training wheels. God doesn't do it that way. He says, trust me, there's wheels there. Yeah, but God, I don't see them. Just trust me, they're there. God, but, but can, can I, can I what, what model? Are they or are, are, are they track? What kind of wheel? No, just, just get going. They're there. Hmm. So what you have to do if you're going to trust him? well, way that you and I could learn to trust God more completely, let me say it that way, is first. Very simple. You need to begin to take inventory in your life. Psalms 139.23 reads like this. Examine me, O God, and know my mind. Now check it out. King David is writing this. And he had blown it. He goes, examine me, O God, know my mind. Test me and discover my thoughts. Find out if there is any evil in me and guide me in the everlasting way. Now, when I look at that, how many of us have ever said that to God? So, you know, God, look at me, get into my mind, know what I'm thinking, because sometimes we don't even know what our mind is thinking. We think we know. He says, get in there, and if there's any evil in it, change me. Yes, Lord. Ooh, doggie. Right? So you want to trust God? You need to be first. If you're going to trust, you've got to really take inventory. Are you really in this Or are you just here for for whatever underlying reason brought you here? But why are you here? Do you really want to do God's will, or are you open to God's leading and guiding guidance? Why are we here? The psalmist asked God through prayer to take inventory. Because only God knows everything about us. I'm I'm telling sometimes, we don't even know our motives. We think we know, but when we get down to it, when push comes to shove, sometimes our real motives rise up, and then we say, I never thought I would do that. You ever say that? I never thought I would do that. I thought this is what I would do, but when, when the pressure came, and they started pushing and pushing, boom, you did something that you never imagined you would do. See, but before that 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 situation, you would have said, "No, I'd never do that." See, David was kind of honest with himself. He knew that he was aware that he didn't even trust himself. He didn't trust himself, huh? Only God. The, the 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 today's English Version Bible says, "Discover my thoughts." Now, notice. Huh? I don't even know what's down there, he's saying. That's the implication. I don't even know what I'm thinking. Look deep in my heart. Help me take inventory. Because only God can lead you correctly. Only God. Because he recognized, and we have to rec- recognize, that we have the propensity to follow after evil. Don't we? Or is that just me? Come on. You got to help me out. You got to say amen. amen. That's right. Amen. You ain't lying. You know, you say something. Amen. Because <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Right? Jeremiah 17, 9, a very familiar portion of the scripture. Jeremiah, he is called the weeping prophet. Some said that he was bipolar because he was always crying and sniveling about life. But I'm telling you, this man had an insight into the heart of God. He said this in Jeremiah 79 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct and according to what his deeds deserve the only one God inter- interrupts our life, can we be led correctly. So taking inventory, what does that mean? Trust God. So I learned a long time ago, trusting God begins with me. This whole issue begins with me. I have to take inventory. I have to ask myself, do I trust God Proverbs 3, 5 through 10, that's a very, very important uh, portion of Scripture. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your ways, right? Lean not on your own understanding. That's one of what, the famous men's home scripture. Huh? Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats. We'll brim over with new wine. Trust begins internally. Notice the word your, your, you, 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 you. Trust Huh? with all yours, your understanding, your ways, your past, your own eyes, your body, your bones, your wealth, your crops, your barns, your vets, you. huh? The proper writer said all the trust starts right here. So don't blame anybody. Well, the reason I don't trust, you know, because it's because of that pastor or because that sister so and so or because of, that sister, or because of the... No, 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 no. That's a cop out. It's a cop out. You just don't want to trust, but you don't want to blame yourself. You know, remember the old saying when you're pointing at people, there's always three fingers pointing at you. Right? Always pointing at you. You have to recognize that God is the source, right? We need to come a common place where we recognize God is a source of life. Recognize that He He knows everything. There's nothing hidden from Him. He's sovereign. He is the creator of all. He's in charge. And see, some people think they believe. Say they believe, but do they believe? It's like this boy in a biology class. Very smart. Well, not maybe not that smart. And he said this, it would not make any difference to me if my grandfather had been a monkey. Now, a little smarter boy said this, I'm sure it would have made a difference to your grandmother. <laughs> the Bible tells us that without God, it's impossible, right? Right? Matthew 5.36 tells us that we cannot change a hair or add a hair on a head without God being the source. God is the source. Hmm. James 14.4.14 4, 4, 14 reminds us that we cannot even say with certainty what's going to happen t- tomorrow without God being the source. So who, who, who gives you everything? Now, some people I ain't got nothing. If you got up in the morning and you took a breath you should be happy. Yes. Huh? If you got up in the morning, to get up and just walk out, you should be happy. Yes. I had, when I was in the hospital, I had a I had a strange experience. I got out the hospital, and I asked the doctor because I always go to the gym. He goes, "Can I go to the gym?" He goes, "You can go to the gym, no weight lifting. You could just walk on the treadmill for about a month or two, and then start. You know, after about a month or two, call talk call me, let me know how you're feeling, and we'll see if you start lifting weights." I said, "Okay." A month or two go by, and I had been walking, barely walking. Could barely, when I first got out, I could barely walk to the end of my driveway and back. Lost 100 pounds in 40 days, really feeble. So I'm sitting there at the gym, and I, mean I, had, I, I, I said, the doctors, go ahead and lift, And I had just real light weight, and I picked it up, right, and I popped it over and I dropped You know how they got the mirror? And I dropped it, and I looked in the mirror, and I began to cry. Everybody, the guys around me look at me like, You okay? I'm going, no, I'm, I'm okay. I walked away. My wife was across the town, she, uh, across the gym, and I told her what happened. She goes, What happened? He goes, I had just realized that God let me lift weights again. Now that may not mean much to you. But to me, it meant the world. The things I used to take for granted, all of a sudden I realized. God God is the source of that, and that he could have took it from me. I was a happy man that day. So what happens when we fail to recognize that God is the source, the supreme and his Lord? Deuteronomy 20 talks about a curse that, that comes upon our life and tells us the debt is part of our curse because we just take it for granted. No, my friend, you owe God your life. Yes. You all got everything. Yes. I remember that. I said that saying the other day, Ronald Reagan said it years ago. And he said, I noticed one thing about those people who are, against, who, who are for abortion. All of them were born. Sometimes we, we take for granted. We think we can, it can come and go. And we can do things as a will not knowing. You don't have that right. God is the source. Yes. God is the source. When we fail to recognize, we bring a, court, a curse upon ourselves. You know, there's an article in the Chicago Tribune many years ago, and it said this being poor can be a deadly analysis. One study indicated that being poor is apparently as hazardous to your health as smoking, drinking, high blood pressure, and all other known risk factors. Being poor. Listen what I'm saying. The analysis focused on people between the ages of 35 and 54. These are the prime income producing years of your life. And they participated in a national health and nutrition examination survey. The higher death rates found in poverty situations had basically three components. Now, let me ask before I continue does anybody want to be Pope? And I don't want to, because poor, being poor is hazardous to your health. They had this in common, one-third of excessive deaths were tied to smoking, obesity, and known health factors. The other third were tied to risk, could be tied to low income. So, what am I saying? Being poor is unhealthy to you as all those other things. Smoking, drinking, bad diet, all of the above. So when we come here and we pray, God, heal that body. Don't we pray for healings? We talked about healing today. God, heal this, do this. Because we know we, nobody wants those health factors. But listen, this pastor is going to pray for healing for you because some of you are stuck in poverty. And being poor is unhealthy. Hmm? See, a study conducted by a physician has concluded that poverty is harmful to your health and overall well-being. Overall well-being. Proverbs 10 and 15 reads: "The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor." Now, notice the reference to the destructive power of poverty. And we deal with poor folk, don't we, Victor Roberts? Oh, come on now. Don't, I'm not slitching on you. Don't I'm trying to embarrass you, nobody. Huh? For the most part, when I, when I say in relation to the United States, we don't have it going on like some other folks, right? Can we say, yeah? yeah. We're trying to come up, right? Yes. Everybody's trying to come up, and we want to bring everybody up. That's but unless we understand certain principles, you're going to curse yourself. There's certain principles. Oh, yes, there is. Let's continue. Matthew seven 11. Let's all turn there. Matthew 7, verse 11. If though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? No parent in their right mind would wish poverty upon any of their children or loved ones, right? Scripture clearly tells us that God equates use of wealth with our commitment to Him. So poverty is not the will of God. Can I say that? Okay, let me say it again. Poverty is not the will of God. Amen? God bless all three of you. Poverty is not the will of God. All right. I got somebody's attention. And there are very specific and direct instructions on how we should handle our money in order to be free from poverty or the lack. Several years ago, and I've talked about this many times, but I need to bring it up again. There had been a worldwide attention and focus upon a part of the world. It was referred to as the 1040 window. Has anybody heard of the 1040 window? Yeah from West Africa to East Asia. 10 degrees north, 40 degrees north of the equator. 1041. if you look at a map, 10 degrees, 40 degrees. It's a square, it's called the 1040 window. The majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists live in that part of the world. The 1040 window. The majority of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists live there. This part of the world is overwhelmed. Not just a little bit. It is overwhelmed with poverty, ravaged by disease, and afflicted with an intense spiritual blindness to Jesus Christ. Religious strongholds, false religion, occult activities run rapid in the 1040 window. The poorest of the poor live in this part of the world. There are no poorer people than the people that live in this 1040 window. Two, listen, 2.4 billion. Almost half the world's population live in this part of the world, the 1040 window, and they live on about a dollar forty a day. In the 1040 window. Why why am I saying this? Listen, my friend, because there is spiritual blindness. They do not recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They do not give unto the Lord as they call to. The Buddhists, uh, the the Hindus, the Muslims do not recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and they fail to give. They are cursed with the curse from the book of Deuteronomy. That's why they're living poor, and that's why they're dying by the millions. The consequence of following their false gods are seen by the massive poverty that permeates the entire 1040 window. Conversely, let's look at the other side. Now, I'm going to say this. A lot of Victor outreach folk are moving towards the 1040 window. Why? Because I know, listen, I'm the pastor here. I know people have jobs and don't tithe. 1040 window, Kennedy. I know people that should be given that don't, and then they want prosperity. Listen, my friend, I am trying to help a brother out or help a sister out of, of poverty right now. And you know who you are, so don't duck. Conversely. On the other side. When you look at the United States of America as a whole, are you ready? The fact that we are one nation under God, there's no other country in the world that says that, who dares write that on their cones. Now we know there are many people in this country and government that aren't under God, but nonetheless the foundation, can I say this, the ground zero is one nation under God, indivisible with liberty, and justice for all, right? Because of that, there has never been a wealthier, more powerful nation on the face of the earth. No nation from Egypt, uh, no nation from, from the land of the Shaldeans, no nation from, the, from Muslim reigns, no nation from any reign, from Alexander the Great to Napoleon Bonaparte to the great African warriors in, in, in Africa, no nation has ever been as healthy and wealthy as the United States. Why? Because they know where Ground Zero belongs. It's one nation under God. Yeah. This is the fulfillment of Psalms 33:12. Psalms 33:12 reads like this: "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord." Now let's bring that home. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman whose God is Lord." Well, my God's Lord. How come you haven't been given to your Lord? Why? Why it you say blessed? Because many in our country, many. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, the only reason why those who are not faithful to God in all areas of their life are doing okay is because of those who are faithful have been protecting you. The only reason we're there is because we live in a country where where many people follow God's principles. So now that leads us to what? You need to understand God's principle. Let me say this. There's three reasons why Christians don't give. More to God. I said more to God. First, they don't think they can give and meet their own needs. Faulty thinking. My pastor would call it, he called that stinking thinking. They don't know how to give, or maybe they don't plan to give, or giving should be much, uh, much. Uh, let me say like this: giving should be as much a part of your life as eating. Now, listen: do you plan to eat? Yeah. Listen, even if you didn't plan to eat, I know every one of you going to eat, right? Well, yes, you are, right? That's how giving should be for to to, to, to a Christian. Remember, I'm talking about ground zero. Looked at your neighbor and said, ground zero. Ground zero. Huh? So we have to set a goal in our giving. Stewardship principles that make a difference in our life. I call that the who's in charge principle. Remember, who's in charge of your life? God's the owner. He's in charge. I'm just the manager. Who's going to run your life? God or you? Hmm. Psalm 24, 1 reads like this. The earth and everything that is in it belongs to the Lord. The world and its people belong to Him. Huh? We have to be good stewards. I call that the give and grow principle. We find our spiritual growth our growth, when we give. Huh? When we give, we increase in faith. When we give, we become more spiritually sensitive. When we give, we become fruitful of God's kingdom. When we give, we receive a blessing from God. When we give, we are... Are there any Christians in the house? Come on, we have to have Christians. I don't don't want no fake and frauds and part-time broads. You know what I'm talking about? I want Christians in the house. Christians. Hmm? To give and grow. God, give and grow. And then one more thing. You got to do it now. Well, not not tomorrow. No, do it now. Stewardship deals with our present resource, not what you're going to have. Stewardship deals and focuses solely on what you have. See, when you focus on what you have and you get into God's blessings, believe me, you will never be poor. God will prosper you. We read scriptures. God wants to bless you. It's in line with you, but you got to do something with what you have. Well, I ain't got that much. If you ain't got that much, then you can't afford not to give because what you have got to get stretched. It's got to go a long way. And listen, only God can stretch it. You can't stretch it. Once you begin to give, all of a sudden that hundred become, does more for you. That that, that thousand also goes does more for you. That ten thousand does more for you. And you say, how did I do? It? I don't know. All I know is I give and I grow. And I do it now. Hmm? The person, Samuel Johnson said this, the person who waits to do a great deal of good all at once will never do anything. All of us should know what our spiritual gift is. And do it. How long are you going to wait before you do it? Use what you have. Write what you have. It's like that old procrastination poem. You ever heard that poem? Procrastination is my greatest sin. It brings me endless sorrow. I'm going to stop doing it. Perhaps I'll start tomorrow. Procrastination. How long are you going to misuse the resource that God has given you there's a tendency to say well sometime next year or or down the road I'm going to use my gifts oh it, it's our per- present uh, the way it is you know you understand God you know my heart don't make me read jeremiah again he does know your heart it's our present situation that God has concerned it with did you pick up a buck Anybody lately? Did you pick up a dollar? Did you pick up a George Washington? Then you should have gave away a dime. Did you pick up 10? Yeah. Then you should have gave away, you should have gave a dollar. Well, I'll give away a dollar when I get a hundred dollars. If you can't give away a dime out of a dollar, are you kidding me? You'll never be able to give ten out of a hundred. You're kidding yourself. Well, so you thought you you thought you came for a message. You didn't know I was going to be meddling right now, huh? Hmm? Listen, let's be honest. If you don't tithe now, there's a very high, high likelihood that you won't tithe tomorrow. If you can't give 10%, you're not going to give him 100% of your life. How can you... Say, I'm going to give him 100% of my life. Isn't your life pretty valuable? What kind of dollar sign would you put on your life? When you think about that, right, Jasmine? What kind of dollar sign, Andy? What kind of dollar sign is your life? Valuable. And you say, we have the audacity. Well, God, I'm going to give you my life. Whatever that dollar sign is on your life. But, God, you know, I'm having a hard time giving you 10% of a dollar. Are you really going to believe yourself that you're going to give 100% of your life? Wow. So I want you to give 100% of your life. And I know, I know the only way I can get you to 100% of your life is to teach you to be faithful in your giving of your resources. That's the only way to get you there. There is no other way. Believe me, if there was another way, I would have tried it. That's the only way. Well, let's, let's go ahead and prepare to close. I know this. God has provided. I don't care how debt you are. I know this. God has provided. We may not have seen it yet. The issue is not God's provision. The issue you must learn is you need to manage what you have now. That's the issue. God's given. As I close, I know one thing. I'm in debt. When I say in debt, I'm not talking about to bank, car loan, no, no. I understand. I live with this. I'm in debt. Romans 1.14 talks about that. And really, the moment we're born, we're in debt. Albert Schweitzer said this, whatever you have received more than others, whatever you have received more than others in health, in talents and ability, in success, in a pleasant childhood, in harmonious condition of home life, all this you must take yourself as a matter of course, in gratitude for your good fortune. You must render some sacrifice of your own life for another life. So what is he saying? See, I, I know Jesus Christ as my personal order and savior. I was delivered from a mess. I was unhappy. I was all those things. And somebody shared the gospel. And the moment I realized what God did to make all this happen, maybe because I like studying, I look at history, I look at, I look at all the things that it took place, not just Victor. I reach when, if you look and get deep, I get deep, man. I look at all the forefathers, uh, the Christian uh, martyrs who have died, and the people who have spent their life trying to get the gospel just to my little, measly, worthless neighborhood. I go, wow, it's heavy, God. Somebody paid a heavy price so that my pastor could walk into my neighborhood and say, Jesus Christ loves you, out. Well, you don't have to live like that no more. He wants to give you a purpose, give you a plan. I don't, I don't take things like that lightly. I looked at all that, and I go, you know what? I owe somebody. I've never been a freeloader. I've always felt that I'm going to pay my way and do what I can. And when I got mine, I'm going to make sure I bring a lot of people with me, because they're going to get theirs. Why? Because somebody did that for me. Now I know there's an audience like this, some of you could care less about other people. Well, that's, that's on you. Prayerfully you change, or you kick rocks. Because I want people who are going to say, you know what? I've been helped by Victor Irish. I, 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 you know, they came and gave me a place to live. They fed me when no one else would fed me. They brought me in. They taught me. They come. They did something for me. You know what? Because of that, because of that, i got to do the same. Hmm? Romans 1.14 reads like this. I am obligated both to Greeks and non greeks both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. See, Paul understood his obligation to God and the previous generation. We owe God because he sent his son. But listen, we owe the previous generation because God sent them. God sent my pastor to my neighborhood. God sent David Workelson to New York. God sent Nikki to get Pastor Sonny. Pastor God sent Pastor Sonny to get my pastor out of prison. There's an indebtedness we have. I've got to confess, I have a difficult time with ungrateful people. I have a hard time. People are just users, users, users. I have a hard time. We don't mind helping, man. But if you in turn don't want to help, man, you're a punk. See, those who look for a handout, they think of everything they have. They think rather, they think that everything they got, they deserved. No, the only thing we deserve is hell. That's the only thing we deserve. The blessing we got is a blessing of God that we should be grateful for. I say, God, thank you. What can I do now? I may not have much. I may not be much. But what I have is yours. Hmm? I end with this. Calvin Coolidge, one of our presidents, said this. No enterprise can't exist for itself alone. It ministers to some great need. It performs some great service, not for itself, but for others. Or failing therein, it ceases to be profitable and ceases to exist. So this is what we gotta do, Victor I reach. Do something. Oh, we're, 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 we're a handful here. Well, come on, man. We're prime. Are you going to do anything for people with your time, with your talents? Let's, let's go back with ground zero. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.